Part two of the State of the Industry podcast with Dr. Jim Higgins takes off now. My name is Jim Higgins. I'm a professor at the University of North Dakota, John D. Odegaard School of Aerospace Sciences. Aviation, welcome back to episode number two of the State of the Industry podcast with University of North Dakota's Dr. Jim Higgins. Now, if you listen to the first one, this is just going to be more of an updated version of that one. So if you haven't listened to the first one yet, I highly recommend not listening to this one and going back to the first one and then coming here as there have been progressive updates in each one. Uh, in this episode, we're going to kind of highlight of where we are today in the industry, how coronavirus is affecting the aviation industry. Um, he has some great insight again. He kind of talks about how he can see some positive hope in here. He can see maybe the writing on the wall of when we can get out of it, maybe kind of what can happen and what is happening. Uh, we talk anything from airlines possibly furloughing to the effects of that having on the economy, the effects of that having on the actual pilots and the airlines when the industry comes back and how that could actually be a negative aspect of it and how maybe furloughing isn't the best idea. Uh, we talk more, many more things. I just, I'm going to keep the intro at that. This is kind of a, an interesting time that we find ourselves in. And one of the things we do focus on is the fact that we need to all come together as pilots. We need to all kind of just come together, respect each other, and just hope and pray for each other. I mean, this is this is a crazy, unprecedented time. So, Aviation, I want to go ahead and dig into this episode. Uh, one thing I'll say before we go is check out the website, aviationcoronavirusnews.com. I am updating that as fast as I can with updates. And if you want to write a blog or you want to be a writer, on there, go ahead and email me, pilotthepilothq at gmail.com or aviationcoronaeffects at gmail.com. I'm just looking to see kind of blog posts about how this is affecting your current job in your life. Don't speculate, just say the facts and just kind of tell your story. So Aviation, without any further ado, here is Dr. Jim Higgins on the State of the Industry Part 2. Yeah, it's just crazy. It's a very fluid situation. It's changing daily. And as we talked before we started recording, this is something that is kind of in the beginning. I mean, I know it just seems like the world's coming to an end, but we still are just in the beginning of this. And we're just starting to see what is going to happen. And we don't know how long it's going to last, like we like uh, like we talked about. We don't know how long it's going to last. Uh, we do know, though, there will be an end to this. We've seen it all over the world now. Um, and some countries have handled it better than others. Uh, hopefully we'll be on the uh, handling a better side and um, we can get through this and, and move on to recovery. I have seen a couple analyst reports that have come out. And um, even though uh, the consensus opinion is, is there'll be some pretty dramatic effects on the economy, uh, likely a, a recession, although a recession typically lasts by definition, it would have to last two quarters. Uh, I saw that um, uh, I think it was uh, Goldman Sachs, uh, are, are they're actually calling for a pretty big rebound in the last quarter of this year. So uh, there's some there's some hope out there. Last time we talked, there were uh, you know it's, it's still a very uh, difficult situation, and we still got uh, a lot of pain that people are going through, especially with some of the airline closures and uh, potential furloughs that are coming down the road. Uh, however, uh, long term, you know we're still where we were three four months ago. And uh, it, based on what's happened in the past, uh, we've uh, bounced back and, you know, and can bounce back quickly, uh, possibly as well. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I've been explained by one person that is pretty, pretty big in the financial world. He said that this is just like a rubber band being pulled down. And as soon as that rubber band is released, the market and the economy is going to shoot back up. 
Now, obviously, that's kind of speculation. He has experience in this, and that's what we all want to hear. But that is good to know that people are thinking that way, that this is just a momentary blip. They're not really thinking like depression type stuff. They're thinking just a recession and that we're going to come back and be stronger than ever. And that's kind of, uh, that's got to be hard on the airlines because they, they need to save money. They need to make sure that they are having as much cash in hand as possible and furloughs coming to the mix there or layoffs or other cuts. But they also need to make sure they're in a position in say three, four, five months, six months that they can operate the demand that's needed. You know, there's going to be uh, this is going to create a, a pretty big bubble for when the demand does come back, if they decide to furlough people or if they decide to do other things. And that actually is the conundrum that the airline executives find themselves in today is the exact thing you just said. Uh, I think everyone knows there's going to be a rebound and uh, the fact that there's retirements and the fact that, uh, uh, you know, it's just, there's so much uncertainty, but the fact that there's going to be, you know, uh, presumably be a return to air travel could be pretty quick. Once the, once the uh, virus threat clears and it will clear at some point, it'll run its course, uh, worst case scenario, or uh, we'll get some treatments to, to uh, quickly uh, end it. Whatever happens, though, it'll, the fear will be removed, and then what will linger are the economic effects. And uh, if the fundamentals are strong, which they were before, uh, you'll see that. But the airlines have to say to themselves, holy cow, we've got these big payrolls to meet, and uh, you know we've got three to four months here of not seeing really good bookings, but they're reading the same analysts and they're making the same forecasts and predictions uh, as uh, as we are. And they know that there's going to be demand there at some point in the future. So uh, for instance, in the furlough equation, if they do furlough, uh, there's going to be a big problem with that uh, because uh, not only have they lost all the money that they've invested in training those folks, when the airline comes back, uh, we've seen historically furloughees do not necessarily return to their airline, even the mainline carriers. They find other jobs, they find other things to do. And so that could be a, a long-term um, threat that could be a problem. So uh, the solution to me, and who knows if uh, it works out this way, but if there are uh, dollars that flow from uh, Congress and, and the political group uh, to the airlines, which I fully support, uh, that might be enough to kind of uh, hold everyone in place at least for another month or two and hopefully avoid any heavy furloughs. You know, um, uh, I know ALPA has been ramping up a campaign and I'm glad to see them do that, that uh, not to forget about the workers, not that I would ever accuse any executive of doing this, but, you know, if you were to take in some stabilization dollars from Congress, I, I understand there might be up to 50 billion that can flow into the various airlines. You know, you could largely uh, ameliorate the downturn, and if you simultaneously got rid of employees who furlough or whatnot, um, there could even be a uh, a point where uh, it, it, you could do some profit taking on that. So hopefully, the idea is is if the if the money comes in, it stabilizes everything, and the employees can stay employed and ride the storm out. I think that would be the best solution. Yeah. No. I mean, yeah. I think that'd be a good solution too. I think. I honestly do think the airline, I mean, let's be honest, so if the airline can find a way to save money and that's furloughing, they're going to choose that to save their company. Like we said, I don't think they want to do that. They know that's not a good press look. They know that that doesn't viable with the pilot community. And as you said, when you furlough someone, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to come back. So you're going to be cut even short when that demand does come. And who knows if the furlough lasts a long time, if they get out of uh, out of currency, so then you got to retrain them. And there's just so many things that go on with that. Um, 
I don't, yeah, I don't, I was going to ask you, where do you think we are in the furlough equation? How close do you think that is? How, how much longer do you think the airlines can go? Let's say without uh, the government bailout, without the money they're asking, is a furlough kind of inevitable or is that still a, a month or a couple of weeks away? Well, without any kind of a bailout, you're going to probably see some carriers. You're starting to see some signs now with the voluntary furloughs, the unpaid leaves of absences that are being offered. And, um, you know, that that might be enough to, uh, you know, take care of it in the short term. But if we see uh, if we go into the summer months uh, and we see that um, uh, the airlines see that there's not a big pickup in the reservations, you know, they forecast out. Um, then I think you're probably going to start seeing some of the uh, longer term uh, furloughing, you know, so uh, I do think that can happen. I think you can also see it in the short term. Of course, as you know, uh, Compass Airlines, Transstates Airlines, uh, the demise happened very quickly. This catalyzed that. Very, very unfortunate. I feel very, very bad. I have lots of friends at both Compass and Transstates, and I'm sure you do as well. And it's just really difficult to see. Um the hiring, though, is still fairly robust among some of the other regionals. Uh, you know, if you look uh, and see, there's still a lot of um, um, uh, virtual events being held. Uh, and, you know, you're starting to see that, you know, those those uh, Embraers that are going to go from Compass to, uh, uh, did you say an Envoy? I, I haven't read that press release. Yeah, but- Compass is taking over the, uh, the, I think they're getting 20 175s from, from Compass. Okay. And, you know, and someone's going to have to fly those, right? So um, this is where uh, union groups can really help too. They can put in programs to help uh, uh, placement. And, I, you know, Alpa has been pretty good about that in the past. So have other unions. So, so hopefully we can get folks jobs that need jobs real quickly. Um, that contraction in the regional industry with Compass and Transstates uh, is, um, uh, is as sad as it is. It, 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 in theory, could uh, help uh, alleviate um, uh, some of the cuts in other parts of the industry. You know, time will tell on that. Yeah, and I, I'm, I do agree it is terrible and I hate to see that. Is this a direct contribution to the coronavirus though? Because Transstates was on its way out with, uh, without the coronavirus and Compass lost its biggest carrier, Delta, earlier last year. So I think the writing was kind of on the wall for both of those. So is it fair to say that both those closures are 100% coronavirus related? I know that Transstates was accelerated because of coronavirus, but it seemed the writing was on the wall for both of those in the, in the next couple of years to kind of be in the same situation. No, the, the writing was definitely on the wall. There were definitely signs of uh, uh, big changes. And, and of course, with Transstates, they had a plan to ramp down, I think, over nine months or, or whatever yeah. the case may be. Yeah. So, so with the, you're exactly right. What, what this situation did is it uh, just uh, sped that process up, unfortunately. And of course, the, the people that are the real victims here are the employees of yeah, that. They are. And I, I'm in the same boat with you. I agree with an airline, buy up, uh, an airline bailout. And I, I can see why someone would say like, it's a corporate, it's a corporation. They've done things dirty in the past. Like they need to stop investing in stock buybacks and all that kind of stuff. But it, when they're talking about how they would rather see that go in a small business, this does affect small business because there's what 700, I think the last number I saw is like 750,000 employees in the airline industry. So if we lose those, that's spending power and that's people that we're taking their salaries from, and then there's no money going back into the economy. So this is trickles back to more than just being about big business. This actually, this bailout affects small business as well. Oh, there's, there's absolutely no doubt. And, um, you know, some, uh, the SBA Small Business Administration is actually, they've started their disaster uh, loan process. And so 
Um, even though the airlines uh, absolutely have been affected along with the other travel industry related uh, groups like hotels, of course, cruise ships and whatnot, the small businesses all around the country are really being affected. There's lots of uh, problems there. And so uh, the access to those loans are going to be crucial. And don't forget, a lot of those companies do a lot of support uh, for the aviation industry as well, you know, yeah, uh, vendors and whatnot. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's all tied in together. Airlines, everything is all tied in together. It's um, for sure. It's um, yeah, it's I th- unfortunately, it is something that is needed and we don't know the effects of what all this money we're creating to throw in will have in the future. But I mean, it's, it seems to be the, the necessary uh, problem solver that we need to have right now. Yeah. And again, um, I, I think we'll, we did learn after 9-11, there was airline stabilization money funding that was given to some airlines. There were some winners and losers in that. Not every airline that applied received that. Uh, you know, I know that um, uh, labor had uh, some issues with how that went down because uh, a lot of money transferred uh, from the treasury over to specific airlines. And there were still some pretty massive furloughs that occurred after that. So I think you're going to look for uh, more assurances and protections there. Uh, there's some Congress people that are already uh, kind of digging into that. And so um, hopefully that part uh, gets worked out. I think everyone can agree with the loss of uh, revenue brought upon by the government's, you know, recommended guidelines and uh, social distancing, which has just had a profound effect on aviation, that because of those policies, uh, you know, they need to be there, need, there needs to be some kind of a compensation there. Absolutely. I think there's going to be extreme verbiage in these deals that are going to go even further in, in years to come. I think that there are going to be a lot of caveats to this money that they get. I don't know if it's whether they need to figure out a way to make customers happy, to focus more on customers and to, to get rid of some of the fees and that we talked about in the last podcast. But there's definitely going to be some caveats for these airlines when, uh, when this money does come. And it might be kind of a game changer how they operate in the future. Yeah, it's just really going to be interesting. I know a lot of ideas are being talked about and bantered about. Uh, I do agree with you, though. The one thing we're probably not going to see is what we saw before after 9-11 is we're just money is just transferred and it's just, hey, good luck, you know, stay in business. I I think that you're definitely going to see uh, a lot more in structure and, like you said, some uh, ties and some caveats and, you know, different things that uh, have to be completed. These could also be loans, although no one said that, 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 that they're going to be loans. So they're more than likely going to be more on the grant side, which, which is, which is fine, but um, uh, it'll be kind of interesting to see how everything's structured. Yeah, it definitely will. And we're going to get those answers sooner than later. Um, yeah, yeah. It's going to be really interesting when that comes out and how that comes out. And you really wonder like who all is going to be included because you, there's not a, I mean, maybe there is enough money for everyone, but I feel like maybe there's not enough money for everyone that could be going around in the future. And we could see some, something, something happen with a certain carrier or one carrying and, and yeah, we just don't know who's going to get the money, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Right. And if you look at a, I think um, it was either United or Delta and I'm sorry, I don't, I I don't have that uh, article in front of me, but but one of them mentioned that they're, they're two billion down in March from that was uh, Delta. They, Delta. Okay, yeah. so you know you look at fifty billion. It's clearly a fifty billion dollar package is clearly going to be designed to get airlines over the hump into the summer. And you know if that if that most of that money can be restored, plus you put in the cost savings, which every airline's uh, going through right now. Um, you know uh, the idea is, is is hopefully the airline will be in a perfect position to rebound the airlines will be in perfect positions to rebound. There are airlines that um, right now, uh, in my opinion, and I've read some articles uh, in in Wall Street on the analyst side, 
um, that are in better positions structurally to withstand this. You know, when you look at cash on hand, when you look at uh, how they've conservatively managed uh, the number of assets that they own, the liquidity, and you know, those are the those are the uh, uh, the ones that you would think about that have done well in the past during these downturns. Uh, Southwest is a big one. Alaska is a big one, and JetBlue. They all have very low cost structures. Uh, is a you know partly uh, because of the aircraft that they fly, the way they fly it, but um, also their labor contracts and whatnot, and they're also managed uh, uh, probably a little bit uh, more conservatively, especially when you look at Alaska, uh, more conservatively, so that um, uh, when times are good, maybe they don't expand as quickly as uh, a lot of people like to see them, uh, but when times are bad, they're able to uh, weather the storm a, a lot better. You know, and Southwest and JetBlue uh, in particular are two that did not furlough anyone during the whole 9-11 uh, situation, which was kind of unusual as well. Yeah, it definitely is unusual. And I, I also read those. And I also read one that was kind of surprising to me. It said how Spirit Airlines is actually in a better position than most people think. They said they had a, a decent amount of cash on hand and they don't fly too much internationally. I don't really, I'm not too familiar with the routes, but they seem to be being able to weather the storm a little better than what someone might have thought in the past. Yeah, you know, you look at like Spirit, uh, Frontier, and Allegiant, and some of those other uh, carriers there that operate in that, uh, you know, uh, market-to-market direct route, you know, type of uh, setup, grid setup. Uh, it is going to be interesting to see. You're not hearing a whole lot about about that. I have heard, and it's, I don't, you know, it's not confirmed, but I, I do have a good friend over at Frontier, and uh, he mentioned that there was an internal memo released just the other day that there's going to be a big reduction as well. They, they've obviously experienced a load factor reduction like everyone else has. The, que- the question is, is their cost structure in a position to withstand that and with cash on hand? You know, a, a lot of them, Frontier in particular, they had massive growth plans, right? You know, some of them are going to double in size over the next four to five years. Uh, I still think that's going to happen long term. Uh, I don't know if it's going to happen over the next four to five years. But, um, uh, you know, they they definitely are going to be in an interesting situation. You're not hearing as much uh, from that segment of the industry. No, and when I'm sitting at the website, I, it took me a while to find anything on those three. Uh, specifically, they seem to be keeping their cards very tight. And I mean, sometimes that's good news. Sometimes that's bad news. Maybe they're holding on to that bad news. I don't know. But it does seem like they are holding on to their information really tight, especially Southwest. Southwest is not giving out much information to their employees or to anyone about what is going on or, or what their plan is. So I don't know if that's a good tactic or a bad tactic, but it's definitely something to keep an eye on. Well, you know, it's an interesting uh, issue as well. And I think that's a symptom of the fact that the airlines aren't quite sure exactly what's going to happen, right? I mean, they have a little bit more insight because they see the customer reservations. They see, you know, what's happening in the future. But other than that, they're in the same boat as the rest of us. You know, it's all going to depend on, you know, when the virus runs its course and when people feel confident enough and then the lingering effects of the economy. And, you know, they don't have an, they don't, they don't necessarily have any more information on that part than the rest of us. And so probably that's the issue uh, somewhat. On the other side of that too, you know, we want to see companies communicate with their employees you know, whenever there's silence for even a few days, you know, a lot of doubt creeps in. Uh, you know, you see that on some of the regionals, some like some of the regional pilot groups, if they don't hear anything for a few days during this, they're like, oh man, this is not good. And understandable why, why they would think that. On the other side of that, if a company communicates, but they don't really have anything to communicate with certainty, that can also be frustrating to employees. You know, I mean, the we're all in this together messages are very important. But, you know, they don't pay the bills in and of itself. And so employees are looking for, for uh, you know, concrete 
things to go forward, and it's and it's difficult. We see that with our students as well here at UND. You know, uh, everyone wants to know what should I do next, and and you know, we don't always have the best answers because we don't know what's going to happen next, right? And that's what's difficult. Yeah, it's definitely difficult. And we kind of talked about it a little bit in the the last podcast about kind of if you are a future student, we didn't necessarily verb it or word it like that, but we talked about the fact that this might create another pilot shortage bubble. This might further hurt the pilot shortage in the future because there's going to be people that are going to be turned off from flying. They're going to be turned off from their training. They're just not going to train. Maybe they don't have the money. Maybe the economic downturn will affect their pockets and they don't have the money. So this is going to go, if you are in training and you're going to be able to afford it in the future, like I would still, as of now, recommend going to it. Like we talked about earlier, this isn't going to be a forever solution. This isn't going to be a forever problem, I should say, not solution. Um, it's going to be a time where we're going to need pilots again and the hiring will start picking up again. Uh, I've read a lot from the hiring freezes that the way they word it isn't necessarily for operations. The way they're wording it is saying that due to state or city laws and ordinances of not being able to have more than 10 people in a room or not be able to do this, they can't interview anymore. So it's not, from what I'm reading, it's not necessarily because they operationally don't want to hire. It's because of the state and local ordinances and laws. And, you know, we're seeing a little bit of that with, uh, you know, some of the major airlines and their their uh, outreach programs, <clears throat> you know, their, their uh, United's Aviate, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Delta's Propel, uh, FedEx's uh, Purple Runway, you know. And so what the airlines are doing is, is they're creating more of a virtual presence there as well. But my, my advice to, to uh, younger people or people uh, entering the industry and it's easy for me to say, right? Because, you know, I've been in the industry for over 20 years and I've also, you know, grew up in the family in the industry. Uh, you know, these events, they're tragic and they're catastrophic, but the one thing they all have in common is they're momentary. Now, right now we're in the middle of it and we're not sure when it's going to end. So to say this is momentary uh, is difficult for some people to comprehend. But if you look at this more from a macro level and you look at it over a 40 to 45 year career, that a lot of people are going to have, um, I think then it does become momentary. And so my advice to young people is uh, if your dream is to fly, if you've got that passion to fly, uh, I would absolutely uh, still look at this as a long-term, very viable uh, career. The market fundamentals have not changed long-term. Uh, it's just a short-term disruption, albeit a catastrophic uh, disruption. And it's bothering, it's, it's going to affect a lot of people's lives. But in terms of long-term planning, um, if you have the passion to fly, I would absolutely uh, go forward and, and pursue that. I wouldn't think twice about it, actually. Yeah, I, I would agree as well. Uh, one question that comes to mind with all this is, as you have studied things, if you have seen things, do you see a certain company or maybe a couple of companies that are handling this the right way? Because, you know, there is a right way and a wrong way to handle this and how a company handle this right now and how they treat their employees will come to affect them in the future where if they are the first one to furlough, if they furlough the worst, or if they just don't have any good company communication or their policies aren't very good during this, it's going to turn off pilots and those pilots aren't going to want to either come back if they get furloughed or they're not going to recommend this company for someone else. But have you seen any companies that are doing everything they can for the right way, sending out the right information, being communicated with and just doing things how it should be done? Well, uh, I have. Uh, let, let me give you a couple examples. Uh, of course, we talked last time about the fact that there are executives and leadership teams that are taking pay cuts, which is symbolic, but it also is a you know it's a real uh, a way to demonstrate solidarity with with their employees. But but I, here here is an example to me that I was just uh, uh, 
really proud of. And again, I, I keep going back to Delta Airlines. The, all the airlines are doing great things, but you know, one of the one of the one of the decisions companies had to make early on when this became started becoming a reality. By early on, I'm talking a few weeks ago, um, is you know we're going to go through hiring freezes. Everyone understood that companies announced that. But there were groups of pilots that had already put in notice at their regionals or their corporate places or wherever they were flying, and they were coming to Delta. And it was inside that two-week period where you normally give notice. And so Delta decided to bring those employees on and said, you know what, we're going to bring them into trade. Even though we're in the midst of this crisis, we're going to bring them on. It's going to cost money, you know, uh, and who knows if there's going to be a furlough or not. But the fact that they chose to do that, because most companies did not, Justin, and so to me, that kind of, uh, that, that, that kind of thing, I think, really uh, speaks volumes to looking out for people because that's a real cost and it's also you know, an overt sign. Uh, on the other side of that, and this was a lesson we learned from the 2000s and uh, you know, they're certainly run differently now, but when you look at um, what happened to United after 9-11, they obviously furloughed like everybody else. Uh, then they went through a period in the mid 2000s where they called a lot of people back but then because of the downturn, they immediately turned around and furloughed again. And so you had what were called double furloughees at, at United. There was a pretty good, pretty good uh, docket of double furloughees. And these are people that really had their professional lives messed with because they went back and forth several times. There was some longstanding resentment that was generated off of that. And it took a while, I think, for um, that to, to move away. United's, of course, completely changed their hiring practices, you know, in my opinion, from what I've seen. And, you know, I don't think something like that would, would ever happen. And that's also part of the conundrum when making the furlough decision that airline managements are going through right now, because if they do furlough somebody and then bring them back right away, that, that causes some pretty good disruption, you know, as well in their lives. So, so yeah, so there are companies that are doing a good job, I think. And, um, you know, as long as the employees understand that not, no one has the answers, uh, I think that, um, uh, there's some good messaging out there and some, some examples of that. Yeah, I agree. You, you mentioned Delta. They, they brought people on. I want to say, give a shout out to American airlines because they did the same thing for a new hire class. I was getting ready to start. They didn't do it for all the high, people they have in the hiring pool, but they did it for the select new hires that were going to start, I think, a week ago or two weeks ago. They brought them on. They said, I don't know if they said there's no class, but you are now officially an American Airline employee. So they did that. They gave them a seniority number. They get medical benefits. They get everything that they need. Um, I, I know, in the, I think United was the first one to cancel all classes, and I know they didn't necessarily do that. And I'm not saying that's bad for United. They were kind of the first ones to uh, to take the hit and to go after this. So they didn't really know that was going to be the other reaction by the other airline. So I'm not necessarily faulting United for that. It's just interesting to see kind of the progression of who was first and how it was changed afterwards to maybe get a little better press look. Yeah. And that, that's really good to hear on American side as well. I mean, it's a, it's a big decision and that was the key, right? If, if there was a class that was coming in the next two weeks, they've almost all inevitably given notice to their current employers and so they would have really been in a, in a, in a pickle and a real bad pickle to try to find a job or go back, uh, you know, and so that's good to hear from American as well. Yeah. How do you, I mean, I haven't looked too much into the 135, 91 world. I mean, I'm, I operate in that world. So I obviously get my company's updates, which I'm not going to be sharing on any website or anything like that, just because they know it will be coming from me. So I'm not going to be doing that, but um, how, what have you heard from the 135 world, the fractionals, the smaller operators, just have you, have you heard anything from them at all? They've all been pretty quiet from what I've seen on the, on the internet. Uh, they've, they've been pretty quiet. Although, um, I will tell you the friends that I have that operate, some of them operate as some of the bigger named, uh, fractional operators as well. 
they're they're staying fairly busy. Uh, I've anecdotally heard that uh, in some places charter has gone up. Obviously, uh, it's one way to kind of isolate yourself if you have the means, you know. And if corporations have flight departments, it's a good way to start transporting people uh, in terms, you know, from terms of. Uh, uh, keeping people safe uh, from viral activity, even though you're still in a confined space, you're going to have uh, groups of less than 10. And uh, that is very helpful. So I, I have heard that. And then of course we do know that the 135 freight as well as just the, the freight in general right now, there's, there's been a little bit of a bump up, you know, Amazon just announced they're going to try to hire a hundred thousand new employees uh, because of the increased demand. Um, and of course that, uh, helps all of the on-demand uh, freight stuff. So uh, uh, we'll see uh, how that how that plays out as well. Uh, that's a, I haven't heard a whole lot more about that. Uh, I do think that it's it's possible we'll see some casualties there long term if the economy stays uh, in, in in a downturn. Uh, but you know, time will tell there as well. I would agree. Yeah, I, I imagine looking at that as kind of a short-term bump with a long-term concern. Just because if this keeps up, everything kind of follows. I post an article on the website, uh, aviationcoronavirusnews.com about FedEx and it, the FedEx CEO or the FedEx head of the aviation department said how they are seeing an increase of demand right now. But he wanted to caution that by saying that FedEx typically follows the economy. So if it's a lowering economy or a downturn in the economy, FedEx will eventually follow that model as well. Now, this is obviously a different situation than we've ever been in before. So we don't know if that's going to hold true to this. And I'm not trying to scare anyone. I'm just trying to make sure everyone's prepared and has the facts of what they're saying. I think you're absolutely right. I think the way you characterize it is, is perfect. A short-term bump, long-term um, uh, concern, uh, something that we we have to analyze. I mean, uh, with this, we know the virus is going to run its course, whether it happens you know, over the next three to four weeks, whether it happens six to 10 weeks or it goes through the end of summer, uh, you know, some of the worst models show that. We, we know that historically these uh, pandemics will run their course. Uh, either enough people get infected, they get immunity or, or whatever the case may be. So um, then the next big obstacle is lingering effects on the economy. We know there's going to be effects on the economy. How quickly can we rebound? You know, and it's an ever-changing forecast. Like I said, uh, most in Wall Street feel that the fourth quarter of this year uh, could be a real big bounce back. You're probably going to see Washington with lots of stimuluses. They, they don't, this is just an editorial. They don't seem to worry about the uh, federal deficit as much as, um, as they used to both parties. Uh, and of course, probably in a time like now, you don't want to worry about that as much. Maybe, I don't know. But, uh, but the point is, is you'll probably see some intervention there as well to try to um, get the economic activity going. You know, it's all about confidence. It's the same thing with the airlines. The passengers are going to return when there's confidence that they're not going to be sick or get sick. And then the economy is going to uh, bounce back when consumers are confident that they'll have jobs and they'll make bigger purchases that take a little while to pay off. And, you know, whatever the case may be, th those are the things you look for. It's all about confidence. It is all about confidence. And confidence is different for every individual person. I mean, you saw in the beginning of when they were announcing kind of these cuts and people are kind of starting to get afraid to fly that maybe a new group of smaller and younger people came in and were like, well, shoot, I'll pay a hundred bucks to fly to LA from Chicago. You know, like there was uh, this, the confidence level in each individual individual person is different. Now, how is that going to rebound in the future? Is the confidence level just going to come back immediately like a snap of a finger or is it going to be gradually? I, I mean, I'm obviously an optimist. I'm in the industry, so I want to hope and I think that it's going to be pretty quick, but I mean, I, I don't know. It's just, uh, it's something that we're going to see and it's something that the airlines and the whole world and transportation department and the government is going to have to 
restore confidence that, hey, it's okay to be within six feet of people now. Like you're going to be okay. Social distancing is still maybe a good idea to do, but you can still go fly. Your chances of getting this now have been reduced. But like you said, that's confidence. That's up to people that get paid a lot more than us to instill that. Yeah, absolutely right. And I I do think if you look at previous uh, pandemics, the uh, passenger loads uh, bounce back very quickly relative to economic downturns where it can just take a while. But if people have the means to fly, uh, you know, to pay for tickets uh, and travel, uh, once the pandemic threat clears, they bounce back quickly. If there's lingering economic effects, then of course that's, that's the other issue. So, so um, again, though, I just want to remind everyone, the market is uh, long-term is still a, would, you know, I would tell you is, is a strong uh, industry. The airlines have really learned how to make money, you know, even though uh, right now when there's not a lot of passengers and stuff to make money, you can't, but going forward, those passengers will return. The airline has learned how to make money like they've never learned how before. And uh, I think that, um, you know, uh, I just want to remind everyone that we, you know, we will bounce back and uh, it may take some time, but everyone that wants to be employed and is able to be employed will find a a landing spot. There's just going to be some um, churn in the meantime, which can be very difficult, obviously. It is going to be difficult. And it's a time where we all just as aviation community members or members of the community need to just like be there for each other and just be together and not try to divide. It's a time where we all just need to be understanding and understand that this is temporary and we just need to support the companies and everything and do what we need to do to keep our, uh, our employers in business and, and try to help and also try to be safe at the same time. Um, one of the things I wanted to bring up that we talked about a little bit last time is just the effect that this is having internationally, not um, the virus itself, but the airlines internationally. We talked to last podcast about how they are not, those airlines are usually not in the same position as the airlines in the States are, how maybe they didn't have the best profits. We've seen some either park their planes completely, reduce their planes by 90% and just really, really are affecting them. And I've seen Lufthansa come out and say that they don't know if A, they will be able to come out of this or B, if they do, they're going to be a much smaller company than they are before. I've seen EasyJet say how if we don't get money in a couple of weeks, we're going to be done. So it's uh, what have you seen and what all have you heard about the uh, European, Asian, Australian, African, South American markets? So uh, internationally, uh, it, it's it's very different. I mean, we are seeing some positive things, you know, Cathay Pacific's uh, returning some of their uh, capacity. There's new routes that are opening up out of China that are reopening up out of China. Uh, it's still very, very small compared to the amount of carnage uh, that has occurred on the international markets. Um, I do think it'll be really interesting to keep your eye on uh, how some of these larger uh, companies like Lufthansa, for instance, you know, are they going to have to take a bailout from, uh, you know, uh, the German government or, uh, you know, all throughout the world, you might see that. Uh, I don't know. Uh, you know, the the no air no uh, business in the world, including airlines, are designed to just uh, ha- burn out their cash burn and burn out their uh, reserve capital. Uh, you know, without having any incoming revenue for you know any prolonged period of time. I mean, imagine if tomorrow somebody came out with a new uh, desktop operating system that replaced all of Windows. I mean, and then all of a sudden Microsoft can't sell. Uh, windows for, or, you know, maybe 10% of what they did the month before, they're not going to be able to uh, survive very long that way either. So, so, you know, it's just, um, uh, it's just, we're going to see how it shakes out when it comes to the international uh, airlines. You're probably, you know, I would say you're going to see a lot of stabilization income. You're going to see renationalization of carriers. It's going to bring up some very interesting 
cabotage questions, you know, when this clears, you know, and all of a sudden the U S airlines are competing against government funded airlines. Uh, of course now we're going to do an airline bailout. So the foreign carriers will say, well, yeah, but you're taking money. It looks like Boeing's going to be bailed out, you know? So, so, um, you know, it's going to be a matter of degree and you'll probably see some complications on international competitiveness from a cabotage point of view. Yeah, I was going to bring up the nationalization. Uh, Alitalia, if I'm saying that correctly, I don't think I've ever actually said the airline in my life, but <laughs> they are renationalized. So it sounds like they were nationalized, became uh, their own company, and then they're now nationalized again. This seems to be the first one. Um, yeah, Lufthansa might be in a position to be nationalized in the future, some other airlines as well. Um, is there any kind of could you see this bailout happening where the government's like, hey, we're going to require one of you to be a nationalized airline, or do you think they're going to try to keep them separate? Well, you know, um, I think there's going to be degrees, right? I think, you know, uh, with uh, Alitalia, I agree with you. It's an example of just outright, let's go back to the 80s. We're going to, government's going to take you over, you know, unlimited resources, basically, or whatever the government has to run. Tough to compete against a carrier like that, right? Because they can operate at a loss indefinitely, basically. Um, So that's, that's the downside of it. Of course, obviously, the airline was probably on the verge of collapse. And so, uh, you know, from a GDP point of view in Italy, the government probably had no choice. My guess is you will start once this clears, once this subsides, you will start seeing uh, a push again to uh, decouple. Um, And then you're going to have other varying degrees. You know, even in the U.S., when we have stabilization dollars sent, um, you know, that now just so everyone understands the theory behind that. The, the U.S. government has published guidelines, recommendations, and uh, even in some cases some uh, uh, enforced quarantines locally that keeps the airlines from operating at full, you know, full, fully competitively in the open market. So the, the theory, the economic theory behind stabilization dollars is to make up for government policy, not to give someone a bailout because the economy turned down or they came up with a challenge. It's just like after 9-11. The stabilization dollars were there because the airlines couldn't fly for several days and it was designed to make up for that. Yeah. So I just want to make sure. So there. So, again, I'm obviously going to be more pro U.S. on this just just because, you know, it's the industry I come from. So I would argue that stabilization dollars are not the same as nationalization, but you will hear those arguments from from overseas. Definitely. I mean, yeah, you definitely will. And it's like we said, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what the future holds. Uh, I I just got the official, like someone just sent me an official document from Compass announcing that they will be shutting down in 14 days. So that is official. Compass is going to be absorbed, not absorbed. They're going to, their planes will be absorbed, but the Compass as a company will be shutting down. So that is, uh, it's official and that's an unfortunate and just sad. I mean, it's the times that we're in. Some regionals are, are facing these decisions and hopefully it doesn't carry on to other legacy or major airlines as well. But that's kind of what's going on right now with those. Yeah, it's really, really, really uh, sorry to hear that. Like I said, uh, I have several friends at both carriers. We have a lot of former students from UND that are yeah. at both carriers. And I know you probably have lots of friends there too. Absolutely. Uh, I, I will say this, anyone that's been faced with a, uh, a layoff, my wife had a layoff from Asaba in the, early, in the mid-2000s. You know, it's, it's a difficult time, right? Because you start thinking, how am I going to you know, feed my family, what's my next step. And, you know, it can be, it can have a strong mental health impact, obviously. Uh, the good news is, is, um, you know, immediately, uh, my advice is immediately go and, and apply for unemployment. You're going to be by definition, uh, able to get the unemployment. My guess is that some of the programs the government's talking about is they're going to bolster some of these unemployment benefits. We saw that after nine 11, by the way, 
there were some bolstered uh, for airline employees and other affected employees. There were some bolstered unemployment benefits. So again, it's not going to be the same as having your job flying. But but the other good news is is uh, there are some regionals that are that are hiring. Yes, it's going to not be fun to go start over at the bottom. I mean, who wants to do that? Uh, but I mean, at least it's a job. And then also long term, the prospects for those that wanted to move on to a major are still there. Also, um, I think the union can do a lot of work here and help with the transition for both Compass and Trans States. These weren't large pilot groups uh, by by any stretch. And so uh, I, I think ALPA could definitely come in and, and maybe try to find some uh, help negotiate some agreements uh, like they've done in the past to help these individuals uh, find a gainful employment elsewhere. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's something that we hope to do. That's one of the reasons why the unions are there and they're going to have to be creative, just like airlines are getting creative, just like everyone's being creative with with uh, coming together with solutions on a time like this. Uh, it's very unfortunate. Like you said, I have friends at Compass, I have friends at Trans States, and I just, I hate for it. Like, I hate to see them like this. And I, I hate to think that the reality is that this could happen to more people. So, I mean, it's just, we just got to buckle up and uh, get ready for, for what's to come. Um, I don't know if it'll get worse. I don't know if it'll get better. Like you said, it kind of depends on what's going to happen with that bailout. Um, one rumor that people were, were constantly sending me and constantly asking me about is um, the national air, air system. Do you see that shutting down at all? Do you seeing, think that would even be beneficial to shut down or what do you, what have you heard in that aspect? Well, uh, I, so I've heard the rumors too, right? And I also get I get um, emails and text messages. You know, I just I have a friend that's high up in the government that uh, is hearing that this is going to be shut down, and you know, and and whatnot. Uh, we know for a fact that it has been discussed, right? Because in some press briefings, those questions were specifically asked both to the head of the infectious diseases uh, person and also to President Trump himself. You know, and President Trump answered with all options are on the table. Uh, the other individual said, uh, not right now. Uh, I think it was Dr. Foss, not, not right now. Uh, but then they were asked, have you discussed it? And he said, yes, we've discussed it. So so we do know that there are, you know, that that's possible. Um, where you might start seeing some inter- inter- interesting uh, movement here in a sad way is if we start seeing some of the controllers. You know, we know what happened in Midway. Uh, I heard just this morning Las Vegas had a tower controller. And there's also some rumors possibly that uh, maybe in O'Hare as well, although that, that was more unconfirmed, more internet speculation. But um, that that could cause a problem too, right? If, if from an air service point of view, uh, you know, we start getting disruptions there. Right now, I would say it's, it's, it's more unlikely that there's going to be a shutdown of the national airspace system. Uh, but if the uh, numbers of new cases uh, grow worse than projections, and if we start seeing air traffic control facilities get infected people where they get to a staffing level that's unmanageable, then you might start seeing um, more banter about that. But right now, today, with everything we know, I think it's a little less likely than more likely. But it's pretty close to the 50-yard line, I think. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that it is being discussed a lot. I mean, a lot of people have been like, hey, Thursday, it's shutting down. Hey, Saturday, it's shutting down. Hey, Friday, it's shutting down. And I go ask people and they're like, no, not happening, not happening. No, no, no. But I, I do think it's a, it's a tool that they have in this, and I I don't know how that how that affects anything. I don't know how that affects pay. I don't know how that affects airlines. I don't know what just does life go on pause for two weeks and no one charges anyone, no one gets paid. Like how does that work and what would that even look like? I don't even like we talked about in the last podcast. The World Health Organization has come out and fully said that maybe travel bans don't have the same benefit that they think they do. Uh, we're already transporting planes with less people on them, so they're not making money. I mean, I don't know. It's just a, a really interesting thing that you that you bring up, and you bring up a good point where 
if you start seeing more towers or maybe in route facilities or centers getting this, then maybe the conversation is going to be brought up more and maybe they will do something or maybe they'll, they'll limit it. I don't know. Or maybe this is kind of a, a, the speed up the process of figuring out a way to get kind of remote controlling done where you maybe they can find a way you can log on at home and you can start giving vectors for people to land. I don't know. It's just things that are coming up to my mind right now, but it's, I don't know what they're going to do. And it, like you said, it is definitely a possibility. Well, uh, yeah, there's absolutely uh, been a push for remote uh, air traffic control. Now, when a facility goes down, as you know, uh, if it's just one facility, there's procedures in place. You know, for instance, right now, Midway is uncontrolled. I think everyone knows that. Uh, it was a little bit of a, a not a fun place to fly in, I understand, over the last couple of days. But recently, there's been a TFR that's been put in place. So you have to have like a squat code. And I think the, the center uh, or the local approach control is... Um, you know, I guess probably lining people up, but it's still uncontrolled. You know, that would not work obviously in a Hartsfield or an O'Hare environment. I would, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think. And so it's hard for me to believe it's working in Midway, but, but that being said, um, you're going to start seeing some of these procedures, but the problem is when you get too many uh, shutdowns, that's when, uh, that's when they'll, they'll patch together. Um, and you know, we'll, we'll see uh, what happens with that uh, long-term as well. You know, one, one point I want to make though is, um, you know, there, there, it's a glimmer of hope. And, you know, we're seeing more and more uh, news articles come out. Uh, I can tell you from an academic point of view, uh, I've, I've not in my lifetime seen science respond so quickly to an issue. You know, I, I was just, just, I haven't read an article about this, but um, I, I noticed on the NIH website where they congregate journal articles uh, as they learn about this virus and what to do next and how you know, how it's, uh, you know, meandering its way through the populations. You know, there's been 1,300 journal articles that have been published uh, since uh, mid-January on COVID-19, which, you know, far exceeds anything I've ever seen in my life. And as a consequence, we saw the fastest ever vaccine get to trials. We're seeing uh, new antivirals that um, there was a study just released the other day. It doesn't have enough um, effect size and it wouldn't meet FDA standards. But uh, a small trial the other day that there's a, a malarial uh, drug that seems to have some anti-malarial drug that seems to have some effect. So I think, yeah, I think it's just a matter of time uh, with this much science focused on solving the issue. I think it's just a just a matter of time before we um, turn the corner on this, you know. So I just want people to know that, that uh, uh, there are some glimmers of hope out there. Uh, you know, there's from the last time we talked, Justin. There's some better glimmers of hope than last time. There's also some more ominous things uh, that we're talking about. Um, one thing we do know is there will be dramatic change in the coming weeks. Some of it's not going to be positive at all, but some of it will be positive. And, you know, like I said, we will get through it. Those of us that have gone through things like this, uh, we always rebound and we're resilient. And uh, you said it best. We have to take care of each other. And, uh, you know, at the, at the end of the day, um, when we look back at this over uh, 10, 15 years from now, We'll talk about it and say, man, that was a tough time, but we got through it. And, yeah. you know, a couple of alcoholic <laughs> drinks will be drank during those conversations. You're like, <laughs> just, man, we survived that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is definitely, what do you think? Like, I know, I don't, yeah, we kind of touch on it a little bit, but do you think this will change how airlines operate in the future? Do you think they're going to have more of a rainy day fund? Do you think that this will completely stop the stock buy, uh, buybacks? Or do you think they're going to try to have more cash on hand? Maybe they're going to, do everything they can to, to see, because this is obviously the first time in this day and age where we have air travel like we do, where we have a, a industry like this that can be so affected so quickly with, like you said, a company can't 
operate with no income for a long period of time. So do you see maybe a total shift in how airlines are going to operate from here on out? Well, certainly for the next uh, three to five years, you'll see things much more conservatively run. Uh, that's just the nature of, of management. They'll, lessons learned. Uh, long term, that, that remains to be seen. But it's certainly the three big categories of, you know, when you have, when you're bringing in good revenue, there's three, three big areas. There's dividend payback to the shareholders, which uh, is nice to do, right? <clears throat> Excuse me. When you, when you take your uh, shareholders and reward them for investing in your company, you know, shareholders like that. And so that's nice to do, but that's something that doesn't have to be done at all. And I think you're not going to see a lot of dividend payouts. Um, employee bonuses, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry, including uh, management. You're going to see uh, that reduced as well. When you look at places like Delta and others, you know, there's some pretty massive uh, bonuses paid out over the last several years, which is a great thing. But um, you're probably not going to see that done for a while, <clears throat> you know, unless things really return to profitability. And of course, the stock buybacks, which you talk about as well. Um, these are all nice, nice to do things, but uh, uh, companies have learned a lot about their own liquidity, uh, you know, in recent weeks. And those lessons will be felt for, uh, like I said, the next three to five years for sure. Yeah, no, for sure. And it's going to be probably three to five years, maybe a couple more after that, where they they don't do that kind of stuff. They're like, uh, this is where it's so fresh, you know, and once it kind of wears off and the memory kind of fades a little bit, maybe they'll start getting back into what they're doing. Now, we don't know what the bailout or what they receive will kind of induce with them. Maybe there'll be rules where they can't do that or maybe they can only do it to a certain limit because obviously people investing like those stock buybacks, they, the company likes stock buybacks. So there's going to be, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see and see what happens with that. Uh, one question that I was going to ask before we kind of get into some of the questions that were asked and won't keep you for too much longer. Uh, what do you, like your professional opinion, what you've been seeing, how, what, well, I know it's kind of impossible to really kind of predict, but how long and when do you think it's going to get better? When do you think we're going to be in the worst of it? Are we in the worst of it now? Or is it still the beginning? Kind of what's your, your what's your vibe on the situation? Well, if, um, if people uh, follow the CDC guidelines, more or less, uh, I think that that will make a big difference. We're, we're certainly seeing that, you know, so there's there's been several different projections out there. Uh, both the U.S. Surgeon General and uh, Dr. Faust, the head of the Infectious Diseases um, uh, uh, Office uh, U.S., both of them are saying that they're, they're positive that the things that we've done are having an effect. You know, we're not necessarily seeing that right now with the new cases being produced, because, um, you know, there's a, a five to 12 day incubation period, right? So decisions we make today, it's going to take between five and 12 days to see any kind of, a, a, of an impact. But when you model these out, even worst case scenario, let's say nobody washes their hands and, you know, there's no social distancing in what case, you know, assuming that the seasonality, the, the weather doesn't affect this, which, which it does other coronaviruses in some cases, in some cases it doesn't. So they're not sure. Um, then this could easily run through the, the end of summer. And I think that that's probably the worst case scenario with, of course, uh, a resurgence uh, next year. Uh, that resurgence next year, though, if, if it becomes endemic, the resurgence next year, we're going to be in a much better position by then uh, to handle it. So I don't think it'll be as, as bad next year. The uncertainty won't be as, as well known. That's worst case scenario. Uh, best case scenario, some of the projections I'm seeing show us if we follow Italy and Iran and some of the other places, um, you know, you're looking at the first week in April where we get kind of our apex of cases, you know, somewhere between the 40 and 50,000 cases in the U.S. Um, you know, that's probably best case scenario. And then we start we start 
trending down like all the other countries uh, have done. Uh, you know, China right now, I don't know, just today or yesterday announced they no longer are having new infections. Um, the only infections are getting are people are traveling back into the country. So if we can get to that point, you know, probably by mid-April, uh, where we get down to the bottom half of the curve, you could probably start seeing uh, things relax a little bit and, and, and opened up. We do have to guard against the second spike. Um, of course, this can all change if the antivirals that we're hearing about work and they can be produced in mass quantity, uh, which I understand the U.S. drug companies have already tooled up. Um, you know, And then the only other obstacle we have to navigate is uh, the uh, oversaturation of the healthcare system in the U.S., even at uh, 50,000 uh, people, uh, if not more, that's going to really uh, tax a, a lot of communities and their healthcare. So those are the things we have to get through. But there's signs of hope out there. Other countries have done it. There's no reason why we can't do the same thing. Agreed. And, and the good news, hopefully, yeah, it's all good news. Like you said, it, it's kind of speculation. We really don't know, but there is kind of a, a timeline in place and there is kind of a, a mini case study based on other countries and what they're doing and when they peaked and how we peaked. And they, they base that off of what we know when we knew it. So it's definitely going to be, uh, it's going to be telling in the next couple of weeks of what timeline we are on and what the effect will have. No doubt about it. It has changed uh, everyone's way of life for sure. We've all felt that. And I know everyone wants to get back to normalcy and, and we will, we'll absolutely get back to normalcy. Uh, my guess is there might be some positive lingering effects, you know, uh, uh, maybe the uh, uh, hygiene and some of the different things, people covering their mouths, whatever they when they cough, hopefully that'll have a long lasting effect. Right. That'd yeah. be great. I know, right? If everyone could just wash their hands now. I'm sure everyone's tired right. of being told that, but yeah. <laughs> right, right. And exactly. my hands are tired of being washed. They're all scaly and dry now. I feel like they're about to burst. Yeah, no, I, I'm the same way. Yeah. I bet lotion, lotion stocks will be going I up. I know, right? Yeah, next is lotion. There's going to be a lotion shortage. <laughs> right. All right, well, I asked uh, I asked some questions, like I said, on my Instagram at Pilot the Pilot. Um, most of them were very similar. Most of them we kind of already talked about. It was kind of just like, I'm 17. What should someone do my age? Keep in mind moving forward. And we kind of mentioned that it's still a good idea to want to be a pilot. It's still an industry and a career that you should want to have. Just kind of understand that this is one of the uh, the side effects of this career, that it almost seems now every 10 years or so, there, there seems to be some kind of major blip that can affect your job and can affect training and can affect everything. So I think just as long as you are okay with these kind of major stressors that can happen on you and on the industry, then I think you should uh, you should continue it. What do you think? I think that that's really good advice. If you have a passion to fly, and that's really what it takes. And, and, and we know, you know what I'm talking about, Justin. You just have to have that passion to want to fly, to have your office be the, the North Atlantic, right? You know, you look out the window and see, see that, you know, stuff like that you just can't replace. And so if that's what, if that's what somebody wants to do, they should absolutely continue towards this career. There's going to be great opportunities long-term. You're absolutely right. We will on occasion see uh, these situations. Uh, I will tell you, I think they're fewer than farther between uh, you know, had we gone through a regular recession, I think the the airlines were very well set up to handle that, um, you know, unlike before. And of course, it takes something like this uh, to really cause a disruption. And I just I just don't you know, I would hope that this is just something you don't see very often in one's life. So I think long term, uh, it's a great career. Uh, make sure you're getting into it for the right reasons. Every now and then we get somebody that uh, thinks they're going to make a ton of money. And I mean, we certainly know that there's great jobs out there, rewarding jobs out there. But um, anecdotally, I'll tell you that um, uh, sometimes when I see somebody motivated, not by the passion of flying, but, you know, more by I just, you know, I think I can make a ton of money and this is a great career. Sounds cool. Uh, it doesn't always work out quite as well. No, 100% agree. And that's something I preach for a while is make sure you're in it for the right reasons. So I agree with you there. 
Yeah. Um, one, one, someone asked, it was kind of how will this affect student pilots and CFIs and maybe people that are trying to train right now, or maybe people that are trying to apply. Do you see this kind of, I know we mentioned this briefly. We talked about how we think hiring will pick back up kind of immediately once it stops. But do you think that this is going to, is there a chance that this could maybe keep CFIs as CFIs for longer than they wanted to be? Uh, I think temporarily that, that probably will happen. I mean, I know that, uh, uh, a lot of CFIs, especially at a lot of the, the colleges uh, in the U.S., were just counting their hours down until they got to their 1,000 for the restricted ATP to move on. And, um, you know, there's definitely going to be uh, a delay in a lot of that. Uh, although the regionals, like I said, are, there's still a lot of hiring going on there. But um, I think that you'll definitely see uh, some type of a delay there. Uh, from an instructor point of view, we have seen shortages all across the U.S., in particular, the CFIs who can teach CFIs and then the MEIs. So those are where we really saw some real massive shortages. And, uh, you know, so hopefully, um, well, if anything, if there's a little bit of a lull in the hiring for a while, uh, from a perspective of a flight school, you might temporarily see uh, some of those instructors that can help with some of those more advanced students stick around a little bit longer. Um, there are a lot of flight instructors right now that are uh, uh, hurting because they're hourly employees for the most part, and there's not a lot of flying going on at all around the country. And, uh, you know, they're going to be going without uh, big paychecks for a while. I know at UND, a decision was made to figure out how to still pay the hourly employees and figure out what they would have made had had we not suspended. By the way, we ended up suspending our, our flying until April 6th up here. I know a lot of other flight schools have as well. And um, so, uh, you know, you don't want to lose those flight instructors. You don't want them to leave and, you know, go someplace else. It's, they're critical shortage. So so that's all trying to be managed as well. Yeah, yeah definitely. And I didn't know you guys canceled flying and other flight schools as well. That was going to be another question. It was, do you know if any flight schools have a, a coronavirus, I was going to say COVID-19, but coronavirus policy? And obviously you're saying that some flight schools have canceled. I'm sure they are taking other precautions as well. Uh, one question I had about, uh, this is, we talked about 135 and 91 fractionals, how they're handling it, but specifically they're asked, how do you see EAS, essential air service carriers being affected during this? Well, you know, EAS has uh, always been uh, kind of a speculative uh, area, but uh, uh, I actually think of, uh, of all, I mean, I actually think part of this airline stabilization stimulus package, I think that uh, one thing senators and uh, Congress people really, really like is they like when they can go to a local community and say, hey, we got an EAS contract here and it's we're going to put service into this this community. And so um, I actually think that there could be an upside for EAS and all of this. Uh, we'll have to examine the stabilization money that comes down. Uh, I certainly don't see a reduction in it at all. Um, still, though, a, a lot of people that fly EAS routes, they know this, even though a company may, may be on an EAS route, uh, it doesn't mean it's a profitable route for that company by any stretch. There still has to be passengers that that bring it over uh, from, uh, you know, marginally increased to, to uh, positive. So we still have to see those passengers return. But I, I do think that from the standpoint of policy, that EAS, uh, if anything, will, might be bolstered a little bit uh, with the legislation that comes out. No, yeah, I definitely agree. You, you said it perfectly there. Uh, last question, and this can be the last question we kind of ended on. Um, it is, what are the positives? We talked about this a little bit, but it might be nice just to kind of to get all the positive at the end and leave on a, on a high note. But there's so much negative news right now. Everything is negative. What are the positives that we can look at during this virus debacle and the bleak outlook currently? What can we kind of hold on to of the fact? I know there's one is that 
this will change. I mean, like we said before, the resiliency is there. The airlines and the aviation industry has gotten through stuff like this before. This might be one of the worst things they face, but historically we have gotten through it. So I think that's one of the good things to hold on to is just hold on to how we have in the past performed. Um, I know in the you have said other things as well, but I'll give it to you to kind of end it with uh, some positive things that you see. Well, I do think there's some some positive pieces. You know, we do know that this virus will run a cycle. It'll either happen quickly or it will take a while. But we do know the industry will rebound. There's definitely some good news out there. We've seen science come together like we've never seen it come together. Local communities have come together like they've never come together. And, and pilots, I think, uh, are coming together as well when you look at uh, uh, some of the different uh, uh, groups out there. We are all in this together and uh, we'll all get through it together. Uh, there's just no doubt about that. I just have absolutely no doubt about that. Uh, helps on the way with the stabilization money and um, with a little bit of good luck and some for, uh, fortuitous uh, decision-making uh, by both our managements and uh, our government, uh, we can get through this without any much more disruption. You know, I, again, hearts go out to Compass and Trans States. Uh, hopefully that's the extent of this. And uh, I do think there's reason for hope. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, Dr. Jim Higgins, thank you so much for coming on again. I know we just talked, what, three days ago, four days ago. So maybe we'll be having you on again in a short time. I was supposed to go back to work on Saturday. I'll be gone for six days. So won't really be able to podcast from there, but uh, I'll be in touch with you and try to try to um, provide your updates to everyone that's listening now. So uh, if you if you want to say anything more, just let me know and we'll uh, we'll keep going from there. But thank you so much again for coming on the podcast and sharing what you know. It's It's very much appreciated. Well, thanks for having me, Justin, and I'm happy to come back anytime. Perfect. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Thanks. You too. And that is a wrap of episode two of the State of the Industry podcast with Dr. Jim Higgins from the University of North Dakota. Thank you, Nation, for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can email me, pilotthepilothq at gmail.com. Check out the website, aviationcoronanews.com. It's the most up-to-date information about how the virus is affecting our industry. Please leave us a review on iTunes, and you can just find us there. You can search Pilot the Pilot. If you listen to this, just drop a review. That helps this podcast get noticed and helps other people listen to the podcast as well. Aviation, that's all I have for you guys today. Uh, stay safe, wash your hands, and happy flying.